0: So we're in our Victorious Living series. Uh, this is week three. And uh, for those of you who just joining us, we uh, are going through the book of Acts, which is kind of the, it's the story of how the church began. And uh, fantastic. It's an amazing thing. But what we're doing is we're looking in the book of Acts at, at real people, real individuals, and how the power of the gospel and God's Holy Spirit entered their lives and helped them overcome some of the biggest challenges, the biggest things that screw up most of our lives. And today we're going to look at a guy named Ananias and how God gave him victory over injustice with the power of forgiveness. And so uh, think about injustice. Uh, Injustice is uh, the word even itself. Injustice means not just. And, you know, in the Bible, justice and righteousness are synonymous. They mean the same thing. And it makes sense because what is just is also what is right. Right. So when something happens in your life that isn't right, you have suffered an injustice. When something happens, you're like, man, that is just not right. Injustice. And all of us face injustice in this world. Every single one of us. And there's a reason for that. There's a thing happened in Eden when Adam and Eve ate from that poisoned tree, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Our moral compasses were wrong. We're, we're broken. And all of a sudden, what God says is right may or may not be what we say is right. And a lot of times we follow our own moral compass to our own destruction and to others as well. Think about most wars and most fights. And most fights, both people think they are right. And they both think that the other person is wronging them. They are facing injustice. And they are injuring each other in the name of justice. Justice. This is what happens on a global scale. We see it happening in the world historically. Look at the Middle East. The Middle East is is in increasing conflict. Why? Because there's a piece of property that two people think they have the right to. And so they think it's not right that you're there. And so what do they do? They kick them off and they think they're just in doing so. But the people that get kicked off, guess what they do? They say... Well, you wronged me. You double wronged me. One, this is, should be my land. And two, you did something mean to me. And so they retaliate, which makes the other side feel like they must retaliate and things escalate. And now what do you have? Generations, millennia of, of war. But it doesn't happen just there. It happens in our own lives, doesn't it? Even our own homes. Think how many households are our little war zones, right? There's There's minefields all set out, like little issues, like you better not bring that up. You better not step on that, you know, or else watch out. And there's open war going on between the folks in the house, and it's just tense, a place that should be filled with love and peace. You have one person felt slighted and tries to bring justice, and then there's war between the two. Well, there's war between parents and kids. You see, in our own lives, injustice if it's not dealt with leads to struggle and pain and frustration and death. It's huge. But it also happens to us in our, our jobs. I, you cannot work in this world without having somebody do something that you feel was wrong. Every one of us could sit back and, and, and could say, I have been wronged. But here's the thing, we have to do something with that. Because just as injustice is something that's not right, unforgiveness makes us not right. It, it stays in our hearts, and what happens is the scripture says it, it has a bitter root begins to grow. And that bitterness poisons us from the inside out. It causes, it says, it, it causes uh, uh, all kinds of death and destruction. It causes us to be mean people or unforgiving people or hard people. It separates us from others, and it makes us live in turmoil and conflict. And God has something better for us. See, life in Christ isn't about living the way of the normal man or the normal woman. Life in Christ is about overcoming these things. Jesus overcame, and he even overcomes injustice. And that's what we talk about today. So let's talk about this guy named, uh, named Ananias. And before we get there, it's actually a story about a different man, a different man named Saul. And to understand Saul's story, you're going to have to understand a little about kind of where he began. Saul... Was a, uh, was a Jewish young man brought up in the days of Jesus from a wealthy family. Actually, you know, was born in a kind of a Grecian area, Tarsus, and, uh, but he was very Jewish and uh, proud of that and uh, really understood the Old Testament, understood the law, was being trained by the highest level of teachers, uh, came from a very upper echelon part of society, had a very promising future, um, was very likely going to be in the Sanhedrin, and uh, was well respected, and uh, had basically everything going for him. And he was very, very devout in his faith. Well, there was another young man at that same time that we don't know a whole lot about. His name was Stephen. Now, Stephen was one of those early Christians. He he came to faith right at the very beginning. And what happened was, at the very beginning, if you read about Pentecost, or you're watching the Bible continues, which I'll tell you, it's great, but it's not the Bible. So you want to read both. You want to read that and watch the thing. <laughs> but, but if you read about like, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down and, and the church grows, which is really amazing, uh, there were lots of Christians. that And, and one of the things that, that we find out is when people get together, There is always going to be injustice. There are going to be things that we rub each other wrong. Why? Because our compasses are pointing in different directions. And we also have this issue of sin to deal with. So so there was a lot of Christians, which means that there were some problems. Well, God tells us in his word that one of the things that he wants Christians to really do, his followers, is we need to take care of the weak. And that includes, specifically, widows. And uh, so we need to care for them. And so... In Jerusalem, with these thousands, tens of thousands of new believers, there were quite a few widows. And some of those widows came from very Jewish backgrounds and were in Jerusalem and they had very Jewish traditions and all that kind of thing. And there was other ones because Jerusalem was a very cosmopolitan type city of people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world. There were some that came there and they were called Hellenistic. They were more Greek and, and their culture, more Roman, right? And so they were very Jewish and had a Jewish faith. But their culture looked very different. And what happened was is people play favorites. And the church was taking care of the Jewish widows, but was leaving the Hellenistic widows out. Now, when I say I was leaving them out, wasn't supporting them. this is what it meant. If you followed Jesus back then, you were kicked out of your family. You lost your social network. Okay? This is a big deal because for widows, there wasn't any other social safety net. When they were left out, it means this. They were literally left out into the street to die. No food, no house, no one to support them. Not their family, not their old community because now they have been kicked out because they're followers of Jesus. This is not right. This is injustice on, on, on a very deep level. And so the pastors, the elders of the church who were the apostles got together and said, we have to do something about this. But they said, our job is to make sure that we understand the Bible, whether we are training people in it, that we're praying, that we're following. We don't have time to handle all of these these different things. That's what they said is, we need help. So they told the people, go out and find some guys that you trust, that you would look up to, that you would follow their leadership. You look at their life and that they are, they are skilled administrators. They'll be able to, to take care of these things. And that you like their character. And we'll set them apart and we'll give them our authority to, to fix this issue. To make sure that all the widows are taken care of. And they call them deacons, means I mean servants. And one of those deacons, one that the community in Jerusalem looked to and said, this is a man that we can follow. This is a guy that has character and he has ability. This is a good guy. He was named Stephen. And Stephen did his job well. He did it so well that he stood out. Right? There's a danger about being good. And he was challenged by his, about his faith by some of the Jewish authorities. And when brought before them, he, lovingly, told them the truth. He said, Jesus is not some new different God. He is the Messiah. And if you look into the scriptures, you will see that. And you murdered him along with the rest of us. But he rose again. And there's a possibility he wants you to be forgiven. Now, this made them angry. And then God helps, but it didn't so much help at the moment for Stephen. As God shows up and shows Stephen, listen, I'm I'm with you on this. And he allows Stephen to see into the heavens. And he sees God on his throne. He sees Jesus stand. Not sitting at the right hand. I think it's amazing. Jesus actually stands up. For Stephen And he says, "Look, there's God. Well of course they didn't get to see this, and now they're really mad. And I mean they are so mad they, they're going to take justice into their own hands. And so these Jewish, very devout Jewish people were very upset with what Stephen said. They take off their coats because you can throw rocks better without your coat on, and they take him over to a guy that they trust named Saul. Watch our coats for us, brother. We'll take care of business. Saul watches the coats and approves what's happening, and they kill Stephen. And even while he's dying, Stephen says to them, God, don't hold this crime against them. That was an amazing thing. But Saul, who witnessed this, it says that he actually approved of it. He was happy to see all of this happen. It was, it was awful. And then, right after we read that, is our memory verse, because after this happens... And Stephen is persecuted and murdered for his faith. It says a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem. Which means all of a sudden, Christians weren't just ostracized. Now they were being targeted, just like they are today. And people were actually going out hunting down Christians to throw them in prison or to kill them. And so these Christians were faced, what, an injustice, right? It just wasn't right. Right. But instead of fighting this and retaliating, the Christians left and did something amazing. Do you remember your memory verse? But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. I think of it like this. Have you ever seen one of those uh, folks that come up here to do a campfire? because they're from somewhere else that doesn't have dry tinder everywhere. And they build a campfire up here, and it's all all big and hot. And then they say, it's time to put the campfire out. And they think they're going to stamp it out. (laughs) You ever seen that happen? What happens? Like sparks go everywhere, and you're like, you're going to catch the whole valley on fire. That's what happened. Saul and those that were like him in Jerusalem tried to stamp out Christianity. Instead of stamping it out, it just spread. These Christians fled and everywhere they went, the gospel started and the church began. It began to spread and it was amazing. And uh, I think that's that's the difference between retaliation with injustice and trusting. God had a purpose for it. Those Christians who were being persecuted may have said to God, this isn't right. Why are you allowing this to happen? We're being hurt, really hurt for doing the right thing. And you can see God's plan in this. That the the gospel started and it was staying in, in Jerusalem and it was just staying there. And because of this, it went worldwide. And thanks to that, a lot of us are here today. An amazing thing. Well, Saul wasn't content with just having Christians be persecuted in Jerusalem, uh, they spread everywhere. And it says this meanwhile, Saul is uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. You get that. Eager. He wanted to kill Christians. And he was out to do it. But not only was he filled with hate, thinking he was righteous, he had power. He said he requested letters, uh, so he went to the high priest. You don't just go to the high priest. You have to have some standing, some ability, some authority to go stand before the high priest. And he tells the high priest, hey, this is what we're going to do we're going to bring this kind of persecution everywhere. So let me go with, why, to Damascus because it's the next closest city and the church is growing there too. So he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He found them. The way, by the way, is Christianity. That's what we believe. And it says he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So from this part of the story, I hope you're agreeing in this, that Saul was a bad dude. He had... Rage, he had a target. He had some people that he hated. He felt that he had suffered a wrong or they were doing something wrong. And he had the ability to do something about it. He had power and authority to cause lots of pain. Saul was not a nice guy. He was public enemy number one for Christianity. Well, something happened to Saul on his way to persecute things. He has a come-to-Jesus talk with Jesus. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the the city and you will be told what you must do. Now that that verse continues. It says, the men with Saul stood speechless They heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. There comes a point in our lives, I think, out of God's mercy when we are in the wrong that if we're blessed enough, he shows us how blind we really are. Saul thought he was fighting for righteousness, but he realized that his moral compass was way off. Can you imagine thinking you're fighting for God and then realizing that you were fighting directly against him? That would have been a pretty big thing. But Saul was still a murderer, right? He was still a threat to Christianity. So what do we do with Saul? Well, God has an idea, and that's when we begin with our guy named Ananias. And we read about this guy. It says, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Up to this point, the conversation was going good. <laughs> right? I don't know if you ever had those prayers. You're like, okay, God, I'm talking. It's good. Then whew, there was a twist. It said, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. Can you imagine? Has God ever asked you to do something that just seems crazy? Right? From your perspective, what he says is his will. You're like, there's no way that is your will. Well, Ananias felt that way. In fact, this is what he says to God, by the way. He's talking to God, right? <laughs> he says this to God. But Lord, explained to Ananias, I heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls on your name. It's like, okay, God, I I realize that you're in charge, but do you really know what you're doing? I mean, have you heard of this guy? Like, he's the one that's beating up all of your followers. He's the one that's persecuting you. I mean, he's the enemy. If there was anybody who had a right reason to hold a grudge... It were the Christians in Damascus and and Jerusalem, those that were fleeing. They were being persecuted for something good. And God calls him and says, go. Go and minister to this man. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where God has told told me to do things that just seemed ridiculously hard and just flat out ridiculous. And what do we do? We try to we plead our case with God. And I think it's cool that God wasn't just, didn't strike Ananias dead or anything at that moment. So said, I said to go. Right? He hears us, but God knows what he's doing. And God will tell us to do hard things, but God is with us in the process, right? Isn't that the promise from the Great Commission? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Or in actually stay here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you're going to receive power, right? God is with us. And God's going to tell Ananias, so Ananias is here and he has something He's got, he's got an issue, and he brings it to God. But God answers him, and he says this. But the Lord said, go, just do it. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. God just said, go. There are times in Scripture where it doesn't make sense. We make our appeal, but God's word is what God's word is. And God said, Go. So now Ananias has got this problem. What does he do? I mean, are you really going to go find this guy who wants to kill you? Are you really going to go and and minister to this guy in in Christ's name, the very one that he's he's persecuting? I mean, he had a reason for a grudge. Does he follow Jesus or does he follow his natural inclination to, to hate this man? Well, we read in Scripture that Ananias did something amazing. It says, Ananias went and found Saul. Some of the most powerful words in the Bible. He didn't wait for Saul to come to him. Notice that. Ananias did nothing against Saul. If anyone needed to apologize, it was Saul. He needed to go to the Christians. But no, God sent Ananias to him. And Ananias had to find him. I mean, didn't you know, have a map quest. He had his like, lousy directions. Go down to Straight Street, find this guy's house. You're going to find a guy? He goes and he finds him. And then what happens next is he laid his hands on him. Think about what that speaks. He didn't stand off in the corner. He accepts him. Lays his hands on him and says, Brother Saul. Do you think those were easy words? I don't think those were easy words in the slightest. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias chose forgiveness over injustice. He obeyed God. Now, that's when the really cool things happen. It says this, instantly something like scales fell off Saul's eyes. didn't take a long time. Isn't it amazing how when we're touched by grace, how it can change us in an instant? When forgiveness comes into our life, And we recognize our depravity and where we've gone wrong. And instead of receiving judgment, which we deserve, we receive grace and mercy, and it changes us. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Though he was blind, now he can truly see. He regained his sight, then he got up and he was baptized. He went there to lock Christians up, and now he stands publicly and says, I'm all in just like Jesus died and took my sins to the grave and rose again. I'm following that. I'm going to trust him to be my Lord and Savior. And then after that, he had some food and he regained some strength. And then, this is amazing, he stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. They didn't just kick him out. Do you understand that the church is a family? And we love one another. And we are all here because we have been saved by God's grace simply through faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. None of us deserve to be here. All of us have committed injustice. That's what the scripture says. All of us are worthy of God's condemnation, much less the condemnation of other people as well. And yet, we're saved and he received mercy. They took care of Saul, brother Saul. They kept him in his house for a few days, fed him, all that kind of stuff. Ananias doesn't just forgive Saul, he blesses him. And this is where I think it gets kind of cool. What happens right after this is immediately he, Saul, began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, the very place he was going to go to the synagogues, with letters in hand, by the way, from the high priest saying, anyone who does this should be locked up. He has those. And he goes to those very synagogues saying, Jesus, he is indeed the son of God. He was changed. He was transformed because grace entered his life. Injustice was, was put to death. He overcame it. Saul didn't continue living this life of rage and putting people in prison and locking them up, feeling like he was righteous. No. He went to those very people who were going to help him persecute. And he went to them out of love and told them truth and gave them an opportunity to, to be saved and to hear good news. Saul was a changed man. He was such a changed man that he actually we know him by a different name. That's pretty changed. We know him as Paul, the the apostle. He wrote lots of the New Testament. He planted churches all the way from Jerusalem, all the way up into Rome. He spread the gospel from Jews and Gentiles. He has a legacy that lives on today. And we know that Saul, who became Paul, wasn't just changed here. Look at what he, he writes This is the the book of Romans, the scripture. So he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he writes this through his own life, his own experience. And this is what he says. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Do you think that Paul understood what that meant? Yeah, he lived it. He was the one who should have been cursed by the Christians. But he was blessed. He was the one who should have been under God's judgment. Why are you persecuting me, says God, And he received grace. So he's able to then tell others with confidence, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Isn't that hard to do? I mean, even when somebody cuts you off in traffic, what do you want to do? Curse them like, I hope you get a flat tire, right? But how much more big things in our lives? When the hardships come, Even when a Saul comes into our life and drives us out of where it's comfortable and what we know and our world is turned upside down because we did the right thing, can we still bless those who see that God's got a bigger plan in mind? Because even the Christians, all the Christians who fled because they were persecuted preached the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they went. You see, God has a plan even in our suffering. And so we can trust Him and we can forgive. That's amazing. God was even using Saul to plant churches before Saul knew he was going to plant churches. And so he could say, bless those who persecute you. They're working for God. They don't even know it. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. I'll tell you, I took this to heart. There was a man in my life growing up who was very difficult. And I had real and legitimate hatred for this person. Real. Every time I saw him, just raged here, And I a Christian, and, as, as, and as, I, as a Christian, I knew I had to give that up, and I wanted to forgive, and I prayed that God would give me the ability to forgive, and I tried to forgive time and time and time again, and I kept handing it over to God, and forgiveness is a process. If anybody tells you you can just forgive somebody and walk away, they've never done it. But then my predecessor, who was mentoring at the time, uh, Pastor Scott, he said, you need to pray for this guy. Pray that God will bless him. I will tell you, and Amy will testify, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. How on earth can I pray God's blessing over my enemy? How can I pray God's blessing over this person who's still walking in sin, still causing pain? How can I do that? Well, it wasn't just me. I've got the Holy Spirit. And it was small steps at first. At first, I started praying, God, don't let bad things happen. (laughs) Right? I'm kind of hoping that God will get some ideas. <laughs> you know? But what happened is God didn't necessarily just change that. man; He changed me. He brought peace into my life. And then there was a time, I remember it so clear, I saw this gentleman and I had peace. I didn't feel full of rage. I wasn't, my tongue didn't get all knotted up and my stomach wasn't all kind of butterflies and I didn't feel filled with rage and my fists didn't clench. I was Okay. And I knew that I actually loved that person. See, God changed me. He helped me overcome injustice, and I was no longer slave to the pain. I was no longer slave to the injustice and the things that he's done. I put those things so far behind me, I hadn't even thought about them in so long. I didn't nurse old wounds. You know, Paul knew what he was talking about, so he didn't just say this once. In fact, later when he was writing to a very difficult church, the Corinthians, he says this, bless those we bless those who curse us. Paul put it into practice in his own life. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Aren't those the hardest things to do? When somebody starts spreading rumor about you, and you know it's not true, and they're slandering your name, and you didn't deserve it. When they're working against you, and you say, I'm not going to fight back. Realize that that's the moment that God is fighting in them for you. We bless those who curse us. Can you do that? It's hard. With God's help, you can. And what happened? Well, Paul learned his new name. So we bring this to kind of a conclusion, and we look at the the scriptures and all of this that leads us For those of you who like fill in the blanks, I put them on your things for you: it's injustice and forgiveness. Here, so fill in the blanks because I love you. Get this. Here's the story of Paul. There's one point to it. God helps us overcome injustice with forgiveness. That's what God does. In this world, you will, you will face injustice. It's just going to happen. But you don't have to let it destroy you from the inside out. You can let God help you overcome it. And it starts with forgiveness. That's the power. Now, some things with forgiveness you need to understand. First, is this. forgiveness is God's will for us. Jesus doesn't say it's optional for those of us that are in Christ. He says, in the measure that you forgive others, you will be forgiven. Now, I don't know what to do with that passage because it messes with my theology, but Jesus said it. But what I get from that is this. It's not optional. When people wrong us, we need to forgive. We need to follow the example of Ananias. We need to follow the example of so many Christians before us that forgive forgiven. Now, here's the thing. If you're not in Christ, it will make no sense to you. Because the reason a Christian can forgive is because we were first forgiven. That's what the scriptures say. We love because he first loved us. If you've never experienced forgiveness or had that transform, transforming happening in your heart, then really where is that power going to come from to love your enemies? But I'll tell you this. When you recognize that you are an enemy of God at one point, even though you may think you are a good person, scripture says all have fallen short. All, all uh, don't meet God's glorious standard. That we are enemies of God, but it says while we were Christ's enemies, Christ died for us. And you get that you don't have to earn your way to heaven because it's been earned for you and you never would have made it yourself. When you grasp the fact that God, and His Holy Spirit, wants to come and live in your life, you don't have to go to some temple somewhere and do some holy acts just to have a glimpse of God's glory. But God moves into your life. When you recognize that God makes you, takes you from enemy to friend just because He loves you deeply, well, that grace changes you. It transforms you. I can forgive somebody else for what they did because I know I've been forgiven. Jesus told about it in a parable. He said there was a king, and he had some people that owed him a lot of money. One guy owed him like millions of dollars. right? And this guy comes in, and he's like, king says, all right, time to pay up. And the guy says, I can't. And instead of locking that man in prison, the king says to the man, okay, go. Your debts are forgiven. You're free. And this man was, saw this was awesome. But then he leaves and he sends a buddy outside. And he, the guy owed him like a hundred bucks. And he says to his buddy, hey, you borrowed a hundred bucks from me. Pay up. And the friend said, I can't do that. He says, fine, I'll lock you in the prison until you can. Which is a dumb way of doing things. You can't make money in prison. He gets locked in the prison. And the king hears about this and calls the first man back and says, you wicked servant. I've forgiven you so much. And this is how you repay you should have forgiven Now here's the thing those of us who are in christ we have been forgiven i forgive i recognize that whatever you've done against me is small potatoes compared to what i've done against god and for no other reason i can forgive because of that it is god's will for me and it's god's will for you too he wants to free you from bitterness he wants to free you from from that war of injustice But something we need to understand also is that forgiveness doesn't justify the offense. Jesus didn't say, hey, it's okay that you were sinners. He didn't sweep our sin under the rug. He took it all on him as it was beaten and and crucified and buried. He took our sins because they're not okay. Jesus didn't say to Ananias, or Ananias didn't say to, to Paul, he didn't say, oh, it's okay that you murdered a bunch of my buddies in Damascus or in Jerusalem and that you're coming up here to do that. He didn't say it was okay. He said simply this, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Forgiveness does not justify the offense. In fact, what it does is something much better, is it empowers the victim. It frees you from their wounds. For no longer do you have to go back to those wounds and say, look what you did. You can say, yeah, that was pretty awful, but I'm not going to declare war. I'm declaring Peace. Because God forgave me, I'm going to forgive this. How many times? Seven times? Or how about in however many times it takes? Because that's what God does for us. And also know this about forgiveness. Forgiveness transforms lives. There is nothing like it. We say that that we are overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That is Jesus who does this. He actually took away the sin. He actually brings justice into an unjust world. But also the word of our testimony. Are you changed by grace? If you're not changed by grace this morning, as I kind of bring this to a close, there's something I want you to do, and you can help me with that. Here on your connection card, it's on the back side of it. If you've never accepted Jesus' forgiveness, forgiveness of God, Him saying, I love you and I forgive you. It doesn't matter what it is, what you've done. I want to change you. I'm going to make you a new man, just like I made Saul a new man. I'm going to change your very name. Your identity is going to be switched, just like what happened to Mike Edwards this morning. If you want to follow that example and to walk into peace and grace and have the power to be able to forgive, that comes from Jesus. If you're ready to make that step of faith, I want you to let me know. Because this is not a sales pitch. I don't want to just give you a good smooth talk and then trick you into the faith. The Christian life is an incredible adventure. It is hard and it is wonderful. And if you're ready to follow Jesus, I want to help you. And so if you're ready to do that, here on the side here it says, I would like uh, more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. Ramius Baptism, saying, you know, I'm all in. I'm ready to do this. Let me know. Make sure that you print clearly so I can get a hold of you. And this week we'll get together and we'll talk about it. We'll discuss what does it mean to follow Jesus. I'll help you. This church will help you take those steps of faithfulness. You will be forgiven. You will be set free. And then you will be set loose in this world as an agent of light and truth and hope and love and peace. It's the most amazing thing. If you're ready to do that, make sure you let us know. Also, if you are a Christian, then what are you to do? Well... Here's this. Maybe this first thing you want to do is memorize Acts 8.4. Why? Because you're going to face injustice and get this. This is going to blow your mind. This is going to mess with your theology. Sometimes God wants you to suffer. It was God's will, I believe. It wasn't He behind it. But it was certainly God was okay with the fact that, that the church expanded from Jerusalem to every part of the world because the Christians preached the gospel wherever they went. So here's the thing, if you face injustice in your life and you say, God, why did you do this to me? Maybe you should be saying, God, what are you doing through this? Maybe wherever you go, if you're facing injustice, even for the right things, you say, God, I don't get it, I don't like it, but wherever I am, I'm going to represent you because I know you're doing something good in this because your word is true that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to his purpose. So maybe that verse needs to be what helps you, propels you when life gets hard and you face injustice. You will know that you're not the first and you're not the only one. I don't know if any of you have fled your homes because you thought you were going to die because of your faith in Jesus. But you've all faced injustice. So what are you doing with it? Use that injustice to build the kingdom. That's what we want to do with it. So memorize that verse. Or how about this? Read Acts 8 through 9. Why? Because that's the story of transformation. This is one of the biggest Proofs that our faith is real. Do you know that critics of the Bible, every one of them that are like, have their brains in reality, like even big critics, they know that Paul lived. And they know that Paul was originally Saul of Tarsus. And they know that Paul wrote those books of the Bible. Nobody neglects that. Nobody denies that. Everybody knows that Paul didn't just write those things, but he writes about his own transformation. Paul says, I was out killing Christians, and I met Jesus, and it changed me. No one can deny that. And if you want to see a story, a true story of how God transforms life, then see that. But you know, that, read that. Maybe say, that's what I'm going to do this week. But I want you to understand, in this room, there are lots of people who have stories of transformation. Because Paul's, exam- Paul's was just a normal Christian experience. God transforms us. He changes us from the inside out. Now, maybe if, if you haven't seen that yet and you want to read that or just be encouraged that God is at work in you, read those passages. Or how about this? Forgive and release. We have all faced injustice. So here's the challenge Forgive. The hardest thing you're going to do. But do it. God's going to be with you for it. That's why I want you to mark it down because I'm going to be praying for you as you do it. But If you're somebody or something that happened to you, maybe you're mad at God. <laughs> Who knows? Say this week, I'm going to start that process of forgiveness. I'm going to start praying for the person that persecuted me, praying for the person that did something bad. I'm going to forgive them. Maybe that's what you're going to do. Or how about this? Take that a step further. Repent and seek forgiveness. Even Paul didn't do this, but God's powerful in it. Maybe there's somebody. The Scripture says if, even if you're bringing a gift to God, leave that gift right there if you know that somebody has something against you. If you've wronged somebody, go to that person, make it right, and then come back, and then you can worship. If you know you've wronged somebody, you just know it in your heart that you've done something wicked or evil or bad, say this week, no, I'm going to go and make it right. I'm going to go to them and say, listen, I get it. I was wrong. This is not to be justified. I'm sorry. But I want to free you from that unforgiveness. I I want you to know that I was wrong on this and to apologize. That will be really hard too. But there's power in it. It will change you. And if you want to do that, let me know because I'll be praying for you this week because it's going to take some courage and you need the Holy Spirit to be with you as you do that. So let us know. Maybe there's something else. This passage, this verse is you for the Holy Spirit speaking in your life. If there's something else, another commitment to make. Let me know. We'll be praying for this week. And since we're praying, we are a praying church. We've seen God do amazing things. We've seen Him set people free from sin. We've seen people healed. We've seen all kinds of cool stuff. Why? Because we're just taking God at His word. And He says, ask me. Invite me into your life. Well, we do that. And if you have something you want to invite God into in your life, write it down. Know that you'll be prayed for this week. We're going to join you in that prayer. And when we unleash God in it, we can trust Him. Sometimes He doesn't give us the answer we want. Sometimes He gives us something that's much better. So we can trust Him. So write it down. Know what you pray for. Whatever your commitment is, I want you to make that now. And then here in just a couple seconds, we're going to take our offering. And as we take our offerings, drop those connection cards into the offering basket as well with them. All right. Well, let's pray as we close this this message. Heavenly Father, can we say you are good? You're not just good, you're incredible. You forgive us when we don't deserve to be forgiven. When we were still your enemies, you came and died for our sin. And you did one better as you sent generation after generation of believers so that one day your word would make sense in our, our lives, that we could be set free from unforgiveness and injustice and fear, that you could help us overcome this world of war and to let us live in a life of peace. And even more, that you call us your children, that we get to represent you and to be peacemakers like Christ. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for Jesus. And now we pray, Father, we pray that you take these commitments, these offerings that we're bringing to you, these tithes, Lord, that you would bless them, magnify your kingdom, help goodness and love reign supreme here in Estes Park. We pray that you would saturate this valley with good news because you know we need it. And Father, help us to be your peacemakers in the process. Help us to keep these commitments we make. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.